This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit wogcc.com. We're kicking off a brand new series called Lost and Found, and the title of my message this morning, if you're taking notes, is The Need to be found. You can write that down, the need to be found, or you can look on the Bible app and you can follow along on the notes on you version there as well. Just go to the live version. If you have your Bible this morning, go ahead and go to Luke, the 19th chapter, Luke chapter 19. This is the only place out of the four Gospels where this story is found. Luke chapter 19, the physician Luke writing this story about this account with a man named Zacchaeus and Jesus. Let's look at this here in Luke chapter 19. We're going to read in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but he could not see him because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead, he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And then Jesus comes by that place, he looks up, he sees Zacchaeus, and he says to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste, he came down, and he received him joyfully. But when he had saw it, they all complained, saying, he has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor, and if I've taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that which was lost." I remember hearing this story as a kid. This was one of those stories that we would have flannel graphs to in Sunday school. If you grew up in a Sunday school that had flannel graphs, and we sang a song about this. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. I don't know if you grew up singing that song or not, but it was awesome. And uh, this is the guy that that story is about. But some things that perhaps you didn't know is that Zacchaeus wasn't just your average tax collector. He was a chief tax collector. And he was in the city of Jericho, which Jericho was a major uh, place that people would go through and do a lot of different trading of certain goods that were very well known and well harvested in that area. And so these tax collectors were able to impose different taxes by the Roman government on all of these goods that were going in and out of the city. Now, something you need to know about this day and time. These tax collectors were employed by the Roman government, although they were Jewish people. So imagine, if you will, being a Jewish person, living in a Jewish culture, but the Romans moved in several years ago and occupied the area militarily, and they imposed their government structure in the area of Israel and all the surrounding cities where they had military dominance. So all of the taxes that would be paid by Jewish people went to the Romans. And now here's a Jew who is a chief tax collector collecting his fellow countrymen's money to give to the occupying armies and government. This guy was not well-liked. And here's the other thing about tax collectors. They, it wasn't a position that you went and you got online to like monster.com and you were trying to find a job. And you put in your application and you hoped you passed the interview. These jobs were bought, all right? So if you wanted this job, you actually paid the Roman government a sum to have this job. And as you moved up, it wasn't because you get a pat on the back and you're doing a good job. That's not how it worked. Because a lot of times when we think about jobs, that's kind of how you and I view it. Because we think if we work hard, someone's supposed to take notice and give us a promotion. Amen. Right? Someone's supposed to take notice and give us a promotion at some point, and that's how we think. But that's not how it worked in this society. How it actually worked was if you wanted a bigger position with more power and more authority, you bought it. So not only was Zacchaeus a Jewish tax collector, but he was the chief tax collector in Jericho. So this guy had paid a lot of money for this position, 
And here's why. Because if you were a tax collector, not only did you collect taxes for the Roman government, but how you got paid was that you would impose your own custom taxes and your own different taxes that you would put together in order to supply your own income. So in other words, Zacchaeus probably had his eye on that new fancy camel, you know, down at the camel lot. It was the one that didn't spit very much because his spit way too much, and he wanted a new camel. And so he said, you know what? I'm running on a little short on change to be able to buy this camel. And so Zacchaeus would say, I'll tell you what, all you guys that are going to be moving wheat through here, you've got to pay an extra, you know, however many shekels on wheat. And that would buy his camel, and he would be riding his camel around town. Look at my new camel. Look how important I am. And all the people in that area would be grumbling, knowing that they bought that camel because Zacchaeus charged them more for it just to be able to do that. That's the kind of stuff that was happening in this area. So this guy was not well-liked, and he was very despised. And the Bible says in verse 2, he was not only the chief tax collector, but the Bible says he was very rich. So that means he had done a lot of people wrong. He bought this position of power from the Romans to be able to collect taxes to give to the Romans and then impose his own sanctions and taxes on the people in order to fill his own pockets. And he had become very rich off of it. So this guy had probably burned a lot of bridges. This guy made a lot of people upset because one day you go through and it only costs so much to make certain trades or do certain uh, deals and bartering. And then the next day, inflation because Zacchaeus woke up on the wrong side of the bed that day. And that kind of stuff had been happening this entire time he had been employed by the Roman government. So could you imagine, here comes Jesus. And Jesus has no telling how many people following him, wondering, is Jesus going to do another miracle? Are we going to get to see blind eyes open? Are we going to get to see perhaps someone who can't walk rise up and begin to walk? Are we going to see someone who was demon-possessed set free? They're just wondering, what is he going to do? And what is he going to say? We've been following him around, hearing his teachings and all of the wisdom that he's sharing, all of the things that are attracting us to him. We can't wait to hear what he says, what he does. And he had amassed quite a following. I don't know how large this particular following was that was with him that day in Jericho. But what we do know is that at one time, there were over 5,000 people following Jesus. Because you remember the story where the disciples had to get all of those people something to eat. And Jesus performed the miracle of the, uh, the five loaves and the two fish where they didn't run out and they had more than enough for everyone. And that only included the men in that 5,000 number. There were more than that with the women and children involved. So there were all these people. So I don't know how large this crowd was, but I'm guessing that it was a pretty big crowd following Jesus. Now, here in this area, Zacchaeus goes, I want to see what's going on. Well, he's a short guy, right? Probably has little man syndrome, okay? (laughs) And he's thinking, I'm going to show everybody how awesome I am because of all the money I have, the position I have, the power I have. But all of that, all of a sudden, began to not mean anything when he heard Jesus was coming into town. He wanted to see who everybody was talking about. So he left whatever it was that he was doing because all of this commotion was happening around him. And he climbs in a sycamore tree, which the sycamore trees in that area have low branches, okay? So it would be very easy for someone who was shorter to get up in this tree. And that's why he chose that tree. And he climbs up in this tree so he can see Jesus. He's looking. Where is this guy that I've been hearing so much about? And Jesus, with all of these people, no telling what kind of crowd around him, stops in his journey through this city, and goes, Hey, Zacchaeus, why don't you come down? Because I'm coming to your house. Now, going to someone's house in that day meant something different probably than going to someone's house in our day means. When you go to someone's house, it's different than you just going to hang out, all right? It wasn't like they were just going to go hang out for tea time or something like that, okay? And discuss the latest happenings in the world. No, no, no. When you went to someone's house... It was you saying at a certain level that you are accepting this person. This was a statement of you saying that at a certain level, I accept this person. I want to have a relationship with this person. Because if you didn't want to have that type of statement in that cultural setting, what you would have done is you just would have met somewhere. You would have met in a public square. You would have done something outside of the home. No way you would have walked in the home because walking into someone's home was making a statement about that individual and you and your relationship with that individual. And so to do that, man, caused a lot of confusion with all of these people who had been following Jesus because they knew it was the case. 
This guy is a jerk, man. This guy took advantage of my family. I'm a hardworking blacksmith, or I'm a hardworking uh, uh, soldier. I'm a hardworking uh, a person that, that's taking care of sheep or taking care of cattle. And I work hard for my money. My family's barely getting by as is. And then I got to go through Jericho to do business. And this guy's taking advantage of me every single time. He's had it out for me. Every time he sees me, I just know he's going to grab all of the money I have in my pocket and charge me some ridiculous tax. And that's the kind of stuff that people were saying about Zacchaeus. And then Jesus, the guy that they were following, says, I'm coming to your house. Whoa, 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 Jesus. Not cool. Why are you going and eating in the house of that sinner? I think it's really interesting. It's really telling of humanity as a whole because we immediately began to look down upon other people that we think are far worse off than us. And you see the judgmental attitude of the crowd. The judgmental attitude of the crowd that would say, you're going to eat in the house of a sinner like Zacchaeus. You know what they should have said? Thank God that Jesus would go into the house of someone as low as Zacchaeus is in our society and that he would eat with him and spend time with him and give him value because that means there's hope for any of us. That's not the attitude they took, however. They began to look down upon this act of Jesus by going into his house because you're saying that you're okay with this guy just as he is? You're okay with this guy right where he's at? You mean that you're willing to spend time with this guy? This bothered them at their core, and they began to grumble and gossip and murmur and complain. They had an issue with Jesus hanging out with this guy that they did not think too highly of. But here's the thing. When Jesus stepped into the house, when Jesus walked in, this man had an encounter with Jesus. An encounter with Jesus. I I want you to hear me closely. An encounter with Jesus. I think too many times we miss the mark of having an encounter with Jesus because we think, oh, I already know that. I already understand that. I already have said the prayer. I've already taken the communion. I've already stood up and sat down when I was supposed to. I've already sang the songs. I've already attended the services. I've donated. I've given. I've done all of the right things. But have you had an encounter with Jesus? Because when you have an encounter with Jesus, something changes. You cannot have a genuine encounter with Jesus and something not change. Because look at what happened in the story of Zacchaeus. When Jesus validated him and said, I am going to give you value today and say, you're important to me. So I'm going to spend time with you and I'm going to go to your house. And then look what happened next. In verse 6, he made haste. That little joker climbed down that tree quick is what he did. He climbed down that tree quick, and he joyfully went and received Jesus, the Bible says. Joyfully, he received him. And then what happened next was that after the complaining, of course, Zacchaeus said to Jesus, Lord, look, I am going to give half of my goods to the poor, and I'm, anything that I've taken from anybody by false accusation, I'm going to restore them fourfold. I'm going to give them back four times as much as what I took from them. That's huge because, you see, in the Hebrew culture there, there was a Levitical law that every one of them understood culturally, and that law is called the law of restitution. The law of restitution was something that God gave to Moses in the book of Leviticus in the sixth chapter and in the first verse. Let's look at the law of restitution real quick. Leviticus chapter 6 And verse 1, it says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, If a person 
sins and commits a trespass against the Lord by lying to his neighbor about what was delivered to him for safekeeping or a pledge or about a robbery or if he has extorted from his neighbor or if he has found what was lost and lies concerning it and swears falsely. And any one of these things that a man may do in which he sins, then it shall be because he sinned and he's guilty that he shall restore what he has stolen or the thing he has extorted, or what was delivered to him for safekeeping, or the lost thing which was found, or all that about which he has sworn falsely. Here's what he's supposed to do. Look at this. He shall restore its full value and add one-fifth more to it and give it to whomever it belongs on the day of his trespass offering. So check this out. When you recognize that you have trespassed or what a trespass is, is when you intentionally wrong someone knowing fully well aware of what you're doing and what you're about to do. That's what a trespass is. You are fully aware of what you're doing even though you know it's wrong and you choose to do it anyways. If you do that, if you trespass against your neighbor and you intentionally do them wrong, you take advantage of them, then you need to make sure that you give them back what was theirs and add one-fifth more to it. What did Zacchaeus do? He said, I'm going to give it fourfold. So not only did he give back what he originally took advantage of, but he did it four times over. Now, did Jesus tell him to do any of that stuff? No. Jesus didn't tell him to do any of that stuff. What's the difference then? The difference is, is that he had an encounter. The difference is, is that a man who had spent his entire life accumulating stuff for the sake of stuff equaling significance and importance in his life, all of a sudden he has had an awakening at the very core of his being that has shook him to the point of repenting, admitting he had been a thief, admitting he had done people wrong, and publicly confessing that and then making it right and going above and beyond to be generous with the thing that used to have his heart. You see, money used to have Zacchaeus' heart until he had an encounter with Jesus. It used to be all about power and position. I don't know if he got picked on in the playground when he was a little kid because he was a short guy. And then when he grew up, he had something to prove and he wanted to go show everybody how successful he could be. And so he went out and bought this position of power because he had never had power before and it always felt like everybody was coming down on him. And now he could come down on other people because look at what I can do now. Look at how I can be in charge. Look at how I'm calling the shots. And he's just taking all of this aggression out on these people people. He's beginning to accumulate wealth and the love of money began to take over his life. Next thing you know, he's wanting to take more advantage, more advantage, more advantage over people. I'm going to become the chief tax collector. That's my next move. So he moves up in the company and he begins to take advantage of more people and everybody hates this guy. And then Jesus steps in and now he's giving stuff away. That's what an encounter with Jesus will do. Amen. He knew the law of restitution, and he wanted to make sure that he went above and beyond that because he didn't just want to get by with what was required. No, he wanted to go above and beyond with his generosity. He wanted to go above and beyond with showing his level of repentance from the advantage that he had taken over people. You know, the the crazy thing about this is that Jesus then calls him a son of Abraham. He says, today is the day of salvation. It's come to your house today, big boy. Or little boy. (laughs) He said, today, salvation has come to your house. Today, salvation has come to your house. He said, because he is also a son of Abraham. Now, I think this is really interesting because... Zacchaeus was already a son of Abraham by blood relation. That's why he was a Jew. All Jews trace their ancestry back to Abraham, the father of faith. And he's like, what do you mean today? I'm a son of Abraham. I kind of already know that. I'm a Jewish guy. I, I have my family heritage. And that we could get into who's father and father and father and father and on back all the way to Abraham. We could do that if we wanted to with Zacchaeus' family tree. But Jesus says, today, salvation has come to you and your household, for you are a son of Abraham. 
I think that more what Jesus was implying more than blood relation is that now the whole entire reason and the whole promise that God had given to Abraham that he would be a father of many nations, that the Messiah was going to come through his lineage, that the restoration and reconciliation of mankind's relationship back to God was going to come through that lineage. And that was only received by faith. And then finally, once Zacchaeus has an encounter with Jesus, he all of a sudden begins to get the message of faith that was preached so many years ago. He says, now you're a son of Abraham. Because look at Galatians 3 and 29. It says, if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and you are heirs according to the promise. That means it doesn't matter if you're a natural born Jew or not. Because you belong to Christ, because you have faith in him, you're now a part of a lineage that you were not a part of before. You're now a part of a family that you weren't a part of before you knew Christ. He was saying, listen, today salvation has come to your house because you are a son of Abraham. That's only received by faith, amen? You see, here's the beautiful thing, is that Jesus then follows this up by saying, this is why I came. This is why I came. I came to seek and save that which was lost. Jesus said, this is the whole reason I showed up. I came to seek and save that which was lost. And I'm showing you an example of that through this man that you all reviled. Through this man that you wouldn't have had him over your house. You wouldn't even have thrown him the scraps left over. You would have given the dog preference over Zacchaeus. We don't have old Z over our house very often, if ever. But Jesus walked in his house. What? And then, all of a sudden, because of this encounter, I don't know what was said over dinner with Jesus. I don't know the conversation that happened. But whatever that encounter was, whatever happened between those two men, it changed someone who was vile and crooked and someone who was selfish and all about his own gain and all about his own popularity and his own wealth and his own accumulation who had completely living for himself. And now he's given stuff away. When you have an encounter with Jesus, things change. Amen? Amen. But here's the thing. Just like Zacchaeus, prior to having an encounter with Jesus, most people who are lost don't know they're lost. Most people who are lost, they just don't know it. They're not aware that they're lost until they encounter Jesus. We sing songs like Amazing Grace, How Sweet the Sound, Saved a Wretch Like Me, I Once Was Lost, But Now I'm Found. How many times have those words come out of our mouths and we've sang that, but have we really ever recognized that before Christ and before an encounter with Jesus that we were lost? Have we ever thought about that? I think that the problem with Zacchaeus is the problem with so many people in our world today is that before Jesus, they didn't even know they were lost. It's like they were bleeding out and they didn't realize it because everyone else around them was bleeding out and they just thought it was normal. Everyone else is wounded and hurting. Everyone else is bound to this sin and chained to this addiction. What big deal is it if I'm in that same group? It's not a big deal. It's just what's normal. It's what's regular. Most people don't know any different. I don't know anything but debt. I don't know anything but fear. I don't know anything but addiction. I don't know anything but lying and taking advantage of. I don't know anything but all of the ways that I've lived for myself and trying to climb the corporate ladder. That's all I know. And everyone else around me is doing the same thing and it seems pretty normal. It seems pretty normal, and so I guess that I'm just doing what everybody else is doing, and they don't feel lost because so many people who are lost don't know they're lost. But when you have an encounter with Jesus, all of a sudden you're like, I once was lost, but now I am found. You see, most people don't recognize they're lost until someone shows them a better way because everyone gets comfortable with what's acceptable. We, we begin to lower the standard. We begin to lower the bar in society. And more and more things become acceptable. And more and more of us begin to feel like we're not lost. We're, I'm, just, I'm just fine because at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. We begin to point fingers. We begin to compare ourselves with other people. And we begin to say, well, I'm not really that bad of a person. I mean, I... You know, I, I'm okay. At least I don't do what, you know, the guy at work does. I mean, at least I show up on time and put in an honest day's labor. At least I'm not, you know, stealing from the company. At least I'm not lying about my hours. At least I'm not cheating on my taxes. I mean, too much anyways. I mean, 
And, and we began to feel all of these things, and, and all of a sudden things just become justifiable all around us. We justify everything because, hey, at least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. And we don't feel like we're lost, so therefore if we don't feel like we're lost, we don't feel like that we need to be found, and we just memorize a bunch of rules, and we memorize a bunch of religious things to say and do, and we get cross jewelry and cross tattoos, and we put what would Jesus do stickers all over our car, and we don't realize that that's not what brings us into the family. What brings us into the family is realizing we are lost, we are naked, and we need a Savior to come and clothe us with His love and wrap His arms of love around us and forgive forgive us and put us into right relationship with a holy and perfect God. That's what we need. We need him. We need him because he's the only one who's going to satisfy. You can look all over this planet and see people who are desperately trying to find something of meaning in their life, some form of significance in their life, and they don't know that they're lost. One of the people that comes to mind in, in, in this world that, that, that just seems to be getting a, a lot of attention is uh, Lady Gaga. I don't know if you listen to her music or not, but man, this lady wants attention bad. She does some of the craziest things that anyone's ever heard of. She does some crazy stuff, but all this lady is really doing at her core is she's just trying to say, I want to be significant. I want to matter. I want someone to care I want someone to think well of me. I want people to see I'm important. I want people to see that I'm edgy, that I'm different, that, that I matter. Hey, look at me. Hey, look at me. And that's all it is. And you can keep diving into that and accumulate more record sales and more money. And you can do the craziest, most outlandish things. And you can get that attention. But guess what? It's fleeting when it's gone. And when you're alone with your thoughts... Or when you had that and it's still not filling that void and you're trying to consume, 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 you're left empty and void and still lacking and still wanting and still looking for purpose and significance and meaning. And that's exactly where Zacchaeus was and that's exactly where so many people in our world are. We just want to know somebody cares. We just want to know that someone knows our name. We just want to know that some, someone, someone is willing to, to intentionally reach out to us and care right where we're at. And that's what Jesus did to Zacchaeus. There's two ways that are displayed here in this story of ways that people deal with ministering to the lost world. The first one is the crowd. The crowd there that day that was with Jesus, they immediately began to judge the actions of Jesus as if Jesus were doing something wrong or if Jesus weren't doing something wrong, we at least want to get it out there that Zacchaeus is a bad guy. How dare he go into the house of that sinner? It's a big deal. Culturally, these people were freaking out. So here is Jesus going into this guy's house to spend time with him, and these people are all upset about it. And what do they begin to do as a response? They begin to gossip about him. They begin to put him down. They begin to show how they're not as bad as old Z, how he's a rotten guy. They began to talk about him. They began to talk about the fact that Jesus would do this. And everyone gets into this cycle of judgmentalism. Everyone gets into this cycle of wanting to be better than the other. So we begin to throw out our works and our accolades and all the things we do right and all the things we don't do. Well, you know, I'm always honest. Not like that old Zacchaeus. I'm always kind and generous now Zacchaeus is wanting to be generous. I've always been generous with what I do. How dare Jesus want to go over to his house? Why didn't Jesus want to come to my house? Because there's a lot less sin in my house than there is in Zacchaeus' house. I imagine conversations like that were probably happening amongst the crowds people getting highly offended over this act that Jesus would walk into this man's house. Jesus didn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, how about you repent, then I'm coming over. He didn't say that, did he? He said, I'm coming over. He said, call him by name. I'm coming over to your house. Thank God. Thank God that Jesus is willing to walk in the house of a sinner. Thank God that Jesus is willing to call by name someone who is rejected by society and say, I'm coming to your house. How grateful should we be that we, who are no different than Zacchaeus, who have rejected God, who have sinned, 
who have fallen short, that Jesus is still saying, hey, I'm coming to your house. I'm not waiting for you to get everything cleaned up before I come over either. It wasn't like he got a heads up. Hey, kids, pick up your room. It was just, I'm coming over. It wasn't like, oh, oh, man, we got to go pull out the fine china. Let's go. Hurry, quick, honey. Get out the fine china. Little Miss Zacchaeus, I guess she's a wee little woman. Go and get, go and get the fine china, baby. Dust it off. We haven't pulled it out since our wedding. Get it out. Jesus is coming over. No, there was none of that. No time to do anything to impress Jesus. Isn't that wonderful that Zacchaeus did not have to do anything to impress Jesus? Isn't that awesome that he didn't have to do anything out of the ordinary to get his attention? He was already on Jesus' radar because Jesus was about to show the reason that he came to this world by making an example out of Zacchaeus. When he said, hey, up in the tree, I know who you are, Zacchaeus. I see you up there hiding in that sycamore tree trying trying to see what's going on with me coming to town. Hey, get down. I'm coming to your house today. Thank God that Jesus comes into the house of sinners. So we can scoff, we can judge, we can criticize, we can ostracize. Or the second thing we could do in response to dealing with a lost world is we can respond like Jesus did. You know what Jesus did? He got to know Zacchaeus. He spent time with him. He showed him a better way. And because of that encounter that he had with Jesus, because of that encounter... It changed his life. Because what did Jesus do to Zacchaeus that probably no one had done to him for a very long time? He gave him value. He gave him value. He said, hey, I see you. Jesus said, I see you. You matter. I've got my eye on you. I'm looking at you. Even though other people have passed you over because you're a short guy, although other people had ostracized you because you were a crooked businessman, He said, listen, I see you right where you're at. And he said, I want to give you value by calling you by name, by saying I'm coming over to your house, and you're never going to be the same. Value opens the door to our heart to receive truth. You see, Jesus is full of both love and truth. And the Bible says that by mercy and truth, iniquity is purged. And so we need both active in our lives We need to be people who have love and who have mercy and the people of grace, but we need to be people of truth as as well. The problem is, is that when we began to get out of balance with love and truth, but Jesus was perfectly balanced. He was all love and he was all truth. So Jesus showed him love. He showed him value right where he was. He didn't say, hey, Zacchaeus, go give away stuff to the poor and then I'll come over. No, he said, I'm coming over right now where you're at. And then he said, hey, I just want you to know that I care about you enough to know your name. Enough to know your name. How powerful is that? You see, Jesus gave Zacchaeus value when no one else would because he was intentional. His love for Zacchaeus outweighed public opinion. Because, I mean, wouldn't it have been like easier if Jesus would have been like, all right, I see this dude up in the tree. He needs to repent, right? But there's too many people around. They're all going to get really upset if I say anything about it. Let's wait till the crowd dies down. So it's like, hey, pass the word. Get rid of the crowd. And then the crowd dissipates. And it's like, hey, Zacchaeus, why don't you sneak down here quick? Sneak. I'm coming to your house, man. It's going to be awesome. (laughs) He didn't do that. Right there in front of everybody. Bam. Right there in front of everybody. Jesus could have waited. I see this little joker up in the tree. (laughs) But he didn't wait. He did it right there. Jesus inconvenienced public opinion of himself in order to reach that one man. Jesus was willing to sacrifice other people's opinion of him to reach one person. How powerful is that? Jesus didn't say, oh, I wonder what they're going to think about me. Oh, man, everybody's going to be talking bad about me. This isn't a popular move. Think it over, Jesus. Think it over. He's like, nope, right here in front of everybody. He gave value because value opens the heart to receive truth. 
Now, something interesting that Jesus said in Luke 19, 19, I mean Luke 19, 9, he said, today salvation has come to this house because he's also a son of Abraham. He said, today salvation has come. Now, that word salvation in the Greek is the word soteria, and it means soundness, happiness, well-being, rescue in both material and a spiritual sense. So it's talking about natural things as well as spiritual things. When Jesus used this word, that he said, I want to bring salvation to your house today. Salvation has come. You have received this. So in other words, what Jesus was saying was not only is this you reaching out in faith in order to receive me as I am, as the Messiah, as the Savior of the world, but you are going to receive everything you've been looking for from all of that other stuff you thought could give it but always fell up short. You've been looking for happiness from that money. You figured out that that wasn't where it was at. But guess what? Today I'm giving you happiness. It's come to your house. You've been looking for peace through this security of having more than what you needed, but but I'm going to give something that that stuff you thought could bring it never could. I'm going to rescue you. I'm going to give you the, the well-being that you can only find in me. In other words, Jesus was saying, I am the answer. I'm all sufficient. I'm everything that you need. But the reason that Zacchaeus' heart was open to receiving Jesus was because Jesus gave him value and love. Amen, somebody? I just think that's such a beautiful thing because here's the, here, here's, here's the part where you and I get involved. Christ followers are representatives of a better way. You and I who claim the name of Jesus, you and I who call ourselves Christians, you and I who say we follow Jesus, He's our Lord, He's our Savior, He's our Master, we are to be representatives of that better way that is showing the world, hey, the way you're living, the way that you're going, the way that things are, the things you're seeking from, there's a better way. That's why we're wanting to grow and sharpen one another. That's why we want to show the world that there is a better way and His name is Jesus. Amen? Let's look at this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. The Apostle Paul writing to the church in Corinth. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1 says this here. For we know that if our earthly house, this tent, our body, if it's destroyed then we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, we earnestly desire to be clothed with our habitation, which is from heaven. If indeed, having been clothed, we shall not be found naked. For we who are in this tent, we groan, being burdened, not because we want to be unclothed, but rather further clothed that mortality may be swallowed up by life. Now he who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us His Spirit as a guarantee. So we're always confident, knowing that while we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Verse 7. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We're confident, yes, well pleased rather to be absent from the body and be present with the Lord. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well pleasing to Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God, and I also trust are well known in your consciences. For we do not commend ourselves to you again, but give you opportunity to boast on our behalf, that you may have an answer for those who boast in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're of a sound mind, it's for you. For the love of Christ compels us because we judge thus that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one after the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. And then check this next part out. And has given us the ministry of reconciliation. 
That is, or in other words, what that means is God was in Christ. He was reconciling, redeeming the world to himself. He wasn't imputing their trespasses to them, but what he did do is he committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. So now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. It's, it's like God himself were pleading through us, saying, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Man, you are the representative of Jesus to show those who are lost a better way. To show them a better way. That's our job. That's what we're called to do because guess what? Jesus was one man here on the planet doing the work that he was called to do. And then when he ascended into heaven, he said, Now, therefore, go into all the world. Now I'm commissioning you. Now I'm saying instead of one person on the earth, I'm commissioning all those who have been made new in Christ to have a ministry of reconciliation, doing the same thing that Jesus did that day with that sinner Zacchaeus. Because it's the same thing that someone at some point in our lives did with us. Regardless of what environment you came to Christ in, regardless of how you were introduced to Him or what your life was like prior to having an encounter with Him. Let me tell you folks, somebody in some way, shape, or form had to make an investment. They had to show that there's a better way. They had to live that there's a better way. They had to love in a way that you would understand it's better than what you thought love really was. That's Christ in me, living in me, working through me. That's what the church, the body of Christ, is called to do, to be representatives, to be ambassadors for Christ, to go and to seek and save that which was lost, to do the work that Jesus started and then commissioned us to do, where he said, I've come to seek and save that which was lost. Seek it. Be intentional. Go after those people. And then spread the message of love and hope and reconciliation and repentance and forgiveness to a world that's lost but really doesn't know that they're lost. You see, that gives my life purpose. That gives my life meaning. Not just so I can go, oh, yay, I'm a Christian. I want to live a happy life and just come to church and float through life. That's good and fine, but there's got to be more. There's got to be more. And the more is, is that we have a ministry of reconciliation that has been delegated to us by our Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus set the perfect example of how to do it with this story in Luke chapter 19. And this is what Jesus showed us to do so that we can be evangelistic, so that we can reach out to those who do not know him to follow the example of Jesus, we need to do these three things. Number one, we need to be intentional. We see here the intentionality of Jesus. Jesus knew this guy's name, and he was intentional about making sure that this guy knew that he knew his name. Caring about those people. Do we know the people in our neighborhood? Do we know that coworker that doesn't know Christ? Do we know their name? Are we being intentional? in our relationship, allowing the Spirit of God to work in the spheres of influence that He has blessed us and given us. To allow our families, which is our first and foremost area of responsibility where He has granted us influence as mothers and fathers, as aunts and uncles, as grandpas and grandmas. The areas that we have direct influence. Are we showing them that there is a better way? Are we intentionally investing in those relationships to show them that there is a better way? Are we intentionally investing the love and truth of Jesus because the encounter that they have with Christ is going to be contingent upon what we show them Jesus has done in us? Because they need to experience what Jesus has done in me through what He's done. And I can say, let me tell you how great He is. Let me tell you how awesome He is. And it will lead them into their own experience with Jesus. But it's through you being a conduit of that love of Jesus. It's through you being a conduit of that grace, of that truth. Being a conduit of that blessing that Jesus has been to your life. Not so you can just store it all up in your own bucket, but so it comes to you and through you. Amen? 
We have to be intentional with this stuff. We can't just hope one day all of a sudden we get a passion for the lost. No, you've got to start somewhere. You've got to be intentional. And if it's as simple as knowing someone's name and beginning to befriend them, then do it. Begin to sit next to that person at the lunch table on your break that nobody wants to take the break with. You know who I'm talking about. When all of a sudden your shift is over or when you go in the break room and that person's in there and you're going, oh boy, I think I'm going to go over here and pretend like I'm answering important emails on my phone. Let's see what Angry Birds has to offer today. (laughs) Yep, same bird, same game. Getting those pigs. And we will remove ourselves from people. We'll remove ourselves from people instead of being intentional and investing. What if God has a people who understand what it means to be called, who live on mission, and who take this thing seriously? What if God had a church that would take this thing seriously and stop playing games with a world that's lost and doesn't even know they're lost? We've got to be intentional. Second thing we've got to do is be loyal to those absent and present. This is a great principle that we need to all learn in our lives. Being loyal to those who are absent and present. And what I mean by that is that Jesus didn't trash Zacchaeus when everybody else did. He didn't do it behind closed doors, and he sure didn't do it in public. And we know that he didn't do it because he was willing to risk his own popularity in order to spend time with Zacchaeus. It wasn't like Jesus went and spent time with him, and then like when he was hanging out with his disciples, he's like, yeah, I'm just trying to play it all cool, you know? I mean, just trying to be nice to the guy, but that guy's a jerk. Wasn't like all of a sudden he started running him down. Sometimes we do nice things for people, and then we go and we run them down. No, Jesus was loyal to those who were both there present and those who were absent. And I think that if we're going to be people of integrity who are going to show that there's a better way, we've got to be loyal to those absent and present. Amen? That means we've got to shut down the negative talk about people who may be in a different season of life than us, who haven't quite figured some things out. Because let me tell you what happened with this young man, this Zacchaeus. The thing that happened with this guy was that after Jesus said he was coming to his house, he got joyful, he got excited. And what did the people immediately try to do? Suck the joy out of him. They tried to immediately steal his joy by talking about him, by gossiping, by putting him down, by reminding him of his past, by reminding him of all the wicked and crooked deeds that he had done. They began to murmur and complain and try to drag this guy's joy down. This guy was happy. No telling how long this guy had been without being truly joyful. And now all of a sudden he's happy and these people who claim to be religious, these people who claim to be followers of Jesus are trying to suck the joy out of this guy? Church, we do the same things too many times. We see someone who has that brand new joy of the Lord in their heart, and then we try to sweep in and we try to make them just like us because we think that the goal is to be like us and we just want to come in and fix them because they're not good enough yet. Uh, Folks, listen, we all never stop needing Jesus. Amen? Amen? We never stop needing Jesus. If you're going to clap, clap. I mean, don't don't go weak on me. (laughs) But, But here's the thing, folks. Let me tell you. He loves you right where you're at. He accepts you right where you're at. That doesn't mean that he approves of everything you do. That doesn't mean that you don't need to repent and change like Zacchaeus did. But this idea and this notion that we're going to beat everybody over the head and we're going to put them down and look down upon them because of the season of life they're in. Man, I want to promote the joy of the Lord that's in their life, not suck it away from them. Amen? I want to promote the joy of the Lord in your life, not be someone who is sucking that joy away and telling you how you're not good enough. Guess what? None of us are good enough. That's why we all need grace. That's why we all need grace and His mercy. That's why I thank God that His mercies are new every morning. I thank God for that. And we need to be reflectors of that and help people along in the journey and encourage them and sharpen them. That may mean that occasionally you have to have difficult talks with people. That may mean you need to have challenging conversation. And you speak truth, but you always speak truth in love, never condescending and never with an attitude of that you're better than this individual. Amen? So we need to be loyal to those absent and present. And the last thing is that we need to give truth, value, and blessing, here's the kicker, without compromising who you are. You don't have to change who you are to reach other people. If you hear somebody say that, man, you better watch out. You don't have to change who you are to reach anybody. Anybody. You you, you don't have 
to change who you are. You don't have to compromise who you are to reach people because Jesus didn't come just to reach one specific type of socioeconomic group of people and those were the only people he was after. No, he reached everybody, rich, poor, middle class, and everybody else. Amen? Amen. Why? Because he cared about people. Because he loved people. He saw them as being sheep without a shepherd and he wept over them. And he said, I want to give my life for these people. There's no greater thing that anyone could ever do than give his life for his friends. And I'm going to give my life freely. No one takes it from me. I give it freely. I'm offering it to these people because I love them, because I care about them. I don't care what the letters in front or behind of their name are. I don't care what kind of car they drive, what kind of house they live in, or how important their community thinks that they are. It doesn't matter to me. They're all the same to me. I love them all the same. I'm going to pay the same price for every single one of them because I value them all the same and I want them all to repent the same and I want them all to come to relationship with God the same. That's what He wants for you and me. So you can give truth to people, you can give value to people, and you can give blessing to people without compromising who you are. That means you can reach anybody is what that really means. It doesn't matter if they run in your circle or not. It doesn't matter if it's your boss. It doesn't matter if it's the CEO of your company. What if God opens up a door for you to speak love and truth in that person's life and give them value? It doesn't matter if it's a homeless person on the street. It doesn't matter if it's that person in the break room or it's your job that nobody wants to deal with or talk to. It doesn't matter. Give truth, value, and blessing, but don't compromise who you are. You need to know who you are in Christ, and more importantly, you need to know whose you are. Because if I know whose I am, then I can act like who I really am. I'm not my own. I was bought with a price. The precious blood of Jesus was spilled for my salvation and for your salvation. Amen? And when I know that I belong to Jesus, and that He is mine and I am His, then I can walk with a greater degree of confidence, not in myself, but in Him, knowing that what He did for me, He's willing to do for anyone. They just need to have an encounter. Amen? They need to have an encounter. But if they're going to have an encounter, somebody's got to stand up and show them a better way. That's you. That's me. We all have a responsibility to show a better way, to be intentional, to be loyal, to give truth, love, mercy, value, without compromising who we are, to treat people the way that Jesus treated that wretched tax collector Zacchaeus that day on the way to Jericho. Thank you, Mark. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.